Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard, and shortly we will be starting our next episode. We will be providing you tools, resources, and information that you can use to make your life just a little bit better. But before we do that, let's honor our country, and then we'll begin the podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to the Men on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brad Richard. And on this podcast, I believe it's episode 48. And uh, I might have to correct myself uh, later on. But uh, as of right now, I believe it's episode 48. So welcome to the podcast. Uh, Tonight, I have a great guest uh, with me, Christian Delaharta. And he he might correct me on that or uh, Delaharta. Uh, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And when we bring him on, he can, he can let me know how I did with that. Uh, he is a award-winning author of a book called Awakening the Soul of Power. And we're going to talk about that book and how it pertains to our men and women in the armed forces and their family members. Um, he is an, a, he's an acclaimed speaker at various settings, including universities, conferences, corporate training, spiritual communities, and the TEDx stage. Audiences find Christian's message particular, particularly relevant in these times. Christian also practices as a spiritual coach and a leadership development consultant whose work, whose work ranges from individuals and couples in private practice to major corporations and nonprofit groups. So that's a mouthful. Uh, he has so much to share. And so please uh, welcome and help me welcome to the Men on a Mission podcast, Christian. Hey, Brad, thanks so much for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. You're, you're welcome. Uh, tell me how I did on, on the name. I, I botched it, didn't I? De La Huerta. You got pretty close. De La Huerta. H is silent in Spanish. Okay. Um, I, I struggle with English, to be honest with you sometimes. <laughs> so uh, uh, Delaware. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, I, I just have to remember Delaware, Delaware. You told me that I needed to use that as a, as a, as a trigger. Right. And, but it, yeah. It, it, yeah. So, uh, we, we got it. Um, just tell the audience, you know, I want to just get started talking about you. Uh, and then we're going to get into some meat and potatoes in our second segment, uh, about, uh, PTSD. And, uh, the question, is there a hero inside you and uh and we're gonna get into that part 
in uh, in the second segment. But uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, your beginnings, and uh, your journey uh, in in what you're doing and and how you're reaching out and helping people uh, with uh, with what you do. Yeah, thanks. Thanks again, Brad. Um, you, you know, I was raised in uh, Cuba in my first 10 years of life. So I lived in a communist country, which, you know, there's a lot to say about that. I'm really grateful for the experience. It, at, at one level, there's so many freedoms that, you know, that so many people in, in your audience have given life or health um, to um, or for that, that we just take for granted here. Um, and those liberties, those freedoms are not, are not, take, you know, they're not available to people in, people in dictatorial, autocratic um, regimes. So in that, from that perspective, it's kind of ironic that I'm writing about personal empowerment, because in a communist totalitarian regime, there, that's almost like a ludicrous question. Like there is no such thing as personal power. The state pretty much owns you and tells you what to do. I was also raised in a very Catholic environment. My parents were really Catholic. I'm one of nine kids and all of them within 12 years. So, um, so and, and yet that's another organization, another power over structure um, in which, you know, we're told what to believe and uh, what's right and what's wrong. And, and there's very little personal power in that as well. Um, when we came over to the States, we lived in um, Milledgeville, Georgia, a small town in Georgia that had a psychiatric hospital, like a really big psychiatric hospital. I think at the time it was the second one in the world, the second largest in the world. And it was one of the few places in the U.S. where the Cuban shrinks. My dad was a psychiatrist where they could practice as they were getting their license here. So, you know, for me, that was kind of traumatic to say the least. I didn't speak a word of English. I was kind of shy to begin with, introverted. Um, and I was a good student. You know, that's one of the one of the things for which I'm grateful for having been raised in a communist country is that we had a TV, but there was nothing worth watching in terms of programming. So we grew up reading. We also grew up creating and inventing our own, our own games and playing outside. Um, and it really saddens me these days when I see these kids just with their nose to the screen. Um, to me, it feels like they're missing out on so much of life. But anyway, part of part of the effect was that I I was I became a good student, and which was a good thing. Um, I developed a lifelong love affair with 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 books. And but here's how shy I was as a teenager, how introverted I was. I had a pretty much a four point oh grade point average, except for one B my last semester. And I didn't set out to do this intentionally. Of course, I you know this I did it subconsciously. But I sabotaged my GPA. I'd had one B in, in high school, which was enough to knock me out of the running uh, for valedictorian, because there is just no way that I would have been able then at that point in my life to get up and get up in front of a room of filled with hundreds and hundreds of people and deliver the, the valedictorian speech. There's just no way. There's no way that I could have done that then. And I find that kind of sad from, from my perspective today, but I think it's part of my own personal journey that adds value, that adds credibility to the what to what I write about and what I teach about, because these days, you know, I speak all over the world. I've spoken at dozens and dozens of universities, I've spoken on the TEDx stage as you as you uh, shared in the beginning, 
so it's further it's evidence to me that no matter what what happened in our past no matter we, we no matter what we have allowed to hold us back from stepping into our missions from stepping into our power is like all the all that stuff can be overcome and can be transformed and it can be transcended that's a buffet of 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 of, uh, of just you know nuggets uh golden nuggets there uh of of wisdom and insight when you said that you came from a family of nine children, I wanted to interject, but I wanted to wait, you know, and, and wait and, and say, I came from 10. No so, way. Yes. I'm the baby of 10. Uh, and, and I don't know where you fell in the nine children, but you had nine. I, you know, and I had 10, 10 kids in my family. That's so. crazy. That we, uh, I'm the second oldest. I'm the oldest male in the family, but the second oldest, so my there's only 12 years between the oldest and the youngest and no twins and so my sister and i had to grow up kind of fast when we left cuba in cuba my parents had help um but when we left like it was kind of sink or swim and my mom and I, they were both overwhelmed by taking care of these kids and having to feed them and you know having to 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 do that in a country where in which they didn't even speak the language so my sister and i my older sister and i had to grow up pretty fast and, and take care of the younger ones Wow, actually, I was the uh, the spoiled baby, I guess. Uh, uh, that was the label that that I was given, and uh, it's a label <laughs> that stuck because I, boy, I, I held on to that label for many many years. Uh, was your family were were they Catholic too? Yes, yes, they are. Uh, they are uh, French Canadian, French Canadian uh, Catholics, and uh, you know my, my I. I was born in North Dakota. I, I grew up in, in Wisconsin, um, but I was born in North Dakota. And um, I think all of my siblings were, you know, they were all born in, in North Dakota. Um, out there, uh, it, you know, you, you work hard and you pretty much farm or you work on, fa uh, on farm machinery. And that's pretty much that's that's the industry in North Dakota. So you know, my dad was a was was a farmer, uh, and he and he raised cattle and um, pretty much you know have children and farm is all you did out there. Uh, there's a lot. There's oil there now, right? Yeah, there's oil there now. There's a you know there's that industry now, but uh, you know it. We uh we left the state of North Dakota when I was five, mm -hmm. and we moved to Wisconsin, and he shifted from. Um, he, he shifted from a, a farmer and, and, you know, growing up, uh, on the farm to, uh, commercial construction. Mm. And he went to work in Minneapolis, St. Paul for some of the largest construction companies in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And, uh, and he, to feed 10 kids, he needed to make more money than a mm. North Dakota farmer would make. And so he, he did a quantum shift <laughs> and went into commercial construction. He was the superintendent from, for the um, Hubert Humphrey Metrodome, which I think is no longer in, in Minneapolis, mm -hmm. St. Paul, but, but that was his project. He also um, was the foreman uh, for the IDS Tower, which is, wow. I think, still the largest building in Minneapolis. So he, yeah, uh, he built some really big, really big things. Uh, and it was, you know, uh, I can't even imagine how our parents did it, how they brought up nine or 10 children that to me, that's just like crazy. Like, yeah, it's uh, now are all of your since you're the oldest and I'm the youngest 
are all of your siblings still still alive? There's all of us but one. One of my brothers drowned about 30 years ago. It was kind of a freaky thing. Wow. He it was uh, in the Thames, the river, in, and he was living in London for for a year. And there was a party on a boat, and you know, had it been in the U.S., there would have, it would have been a law or a huge lawsuit. And I was supposed to have been at that party, uh, but last minute, I forget why I couldn't I couldn't go. But there was um, a, a sand barge that was on the wrong side of the river, and apparently the captain had been drinking, and so it just flipped over the boat and i think out of 150 guests like half of them drowned wow that is uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that um i am quite fortunate that i have all my siblings still alive my parents have passed on um which the listeners of my podcast know uh, i have talked about my parents quite often um but I, I am fortunate to have all my brothers and sisters still with me that's great uh, but I am facing a challenging uh, future because the next youngest sibling to me is seven years older. There's seven mm. years between me and my youngest sister. And so um, my oldest brother is, you know, he, he's getting up there in, in age. So uh, I, I'm going to experience a lot of challenges, I think, with my older siblings because as time goes on, um, I probably will uh, be facing a lot of heartache uh, sure. as, as life goes on. And, um, you know, assuming that I will outlive uh, the older ones, you know, that's just that assumption. But yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of lessons. There's a lot of things when it comes to big families uh, that we both probably can relate to and, uh, and understand. When, when you said that you were a good student, um, did you kind of throw yourself into learning as much as you could about people and behaviors and personalities? And what, what did you gravitate towards when you were consuming all of, all of this information as a, as a good student? Yeah. You know, there was, there was a lot of that for sure. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot of people that, that, you know, gravitate towards the healing world, um, a lot of therapists and, and stuff, you know, and the like, I think there is that, that aspect of wanting to understand ourselves and, and what makes us do the things we do. So there's an aspect of self-healing and, and, um, my, you know, my adolescence was one long depression. It was like, it was, it was hard. It was, you know, with, with, with suicidal thoughts and, it's another example of how these teachings and these practices that I that I live and write about and share in my retreats, how they work, because flash forward again to today, and, and no matter the, the details of my life, no matter the circumstances, whether a relationship works out or it doesn't, whether a project succeeds or it fails, in quotes, I never question my sense of, of worth. So, so... I really popped out of that uh, and trans transformed that that self doubt and the self hatred into self confidence and, and self awareness and self love, and and so I know that if if I can do it, I know anybody else can too. And so what I what I teach and write about is is I teach from personal experience, I, stuff that I know works. Right. I I think that's 
that's the essence of uh, of true understanding is experience. To to gain understanding of another person's pain, uh, joys, tears, uh, you know, I believe that you have to not necessarily walk in their shoes, but you have to experience what they what they've went through in your own shoes, you know, to really uh, you know understand and embrace that. You know, and connect with 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 one another. Connect with people. Um, we which is ultimately we what compassion means, right? Compassion means to feel with. So it's it's that ability to 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 be able to go within and to and to feel to walk in somebody else's shoes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, it's one of those qualities that I think I think are heroic in in the kind of world that we live in that is so competitive and so dog eat dog and so polarized. Um, to have that willingness to to feel compassion, to evoke that compassion for another, even for and, and especially for those that don't look like us or think differently or you know come from a different part of the world or pray differently, to to be able to to evoke in ourselves that compassion, that ability to feel with is to me it's nothing short of heroic. I, I would agree with that. Um when I wanted to just kind of back up a little bit and ask you your perspective on the United States. And did you see that or did you experience um, restrictions? Did you feel limited on what you, what you um, thought you could possibly accomplish or do in the United States? What was your perspective coming here into a new country um, and, and, you know, with all the fears and anxiety of, of, of being someone uh, that wasn't born here, you know, um, share, if you could share with the listeners, your perspective on your life now in America, in contrast to how you saw America when you were young, does that make sense? Yeah, it might be a bit of a loaded question, but let's but let's go for it. Yeah, yeah, keep it keep it under a minute, okay? <laughs> um, yeah, that's a big question, I know, but I just I kind of want to get your perspective on that because I do have a lot of guests, you know, on the podcast, but but I mean they're from here, they're from the United States for the most part. So I I I think the listeners would enjoy your perspective, uh, looking yeah, at the I country think, differently. I think it's it's one of the. The loaded part of it is that I think there's, you know, all this back and forth and conflict about immigration in this country, whereas in reality, I don't think you can really like really, really appreciate what America means unless you come from a place that doesn't have that doesn't take for granted the opportunities and the freedoms that this country offers. There is nothing like America in this world. And and. Even still, even even with the challenges to democracy in in the last uh, few years, um, where we are in kind of a make it or break it point, we're like a re- at a real choice point, choice point in terms of what America means and who gets to be American. Um, and to me, part of the beauty of this country is that we really are more than anywhere else. I think. That the, if there is such a thing as American except, exceptionalism, you know, the, the, the fact what makes Americans so special 
is that we are comprised of people from all over, all over the world who came here in search of freedom, who came here in search of opportunity. Um, and, and so to me, we, we represent the best and probably the worst of what it means to be human. Uh, <clears throat> and, and, you know, like I started to say, there's so many little things that we take for granted here. Like, let me tell you the story. When, when we were kids in Cuba, like, I mean, what's chewing gum to us here, right? We stick a piece of gum in our mouth and we spit it out. And we don't even think about, about that. When we were kids in Cuba, and we had it good, you know, we had it better than most because my parents had friends who worked for foreign embassies. So once in a while, we used to get a box of chiclets. And I don't know if you remember the little boxes of chiclets, but we divided the chiclets between all the kids because one good thing, as I'm sure you know, one good value that you that you develop from living in a large family is the fairness the thing about fairness and sharing you ha you have to learn how to do that um that's a value that you just have to take on in, if you're going to get along and survive in, in a large family so i'm really grateful for that too but anyway we used to we used to get a, a piece of gum and you know like chew it all day and at the end of the day we get a little glass of water you know a couple of fingers of, of water in the bottom put some toothpaste in it and stick our gum in it and stir it up so that it would be minty the next day. And, and we keep that going for, you know, up to two weeks until my mother found it and threw it out. So, you know, talk about, and that's chewing gum. So, so there's so many things that we take for granted here, not to mention the big freedoms, you know, like the, like, you know, like, like in a communist country, you don't, you don't decide if you're going to go to college. And if you're chosen to go to college, you're told what you're going to study. Um, and, and th the sense of, of opportunity that America represents, that America has been this, this beacon of light. Um, I don't think you really appreciate that unless you come from a country in which you didn't have those opportunities, where you didn't have those freedoms. Um, and I find that a little sad. True, true. That's um, that's well said, and and I I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, when you mention um, uh, um, uh, American exceptionalism, and and I too uh, feel that the exceptionalism of America is not the country, but its people, because we give more, we feel more, we care more, and a, a, as a whole you know, than a lot of other countries and a lot of other people around the world. And so that exceptionalism, uh, I think, does, you know, lie with the people that live here and uh, that are proud to be here. And that, uh, you know, and you can't take that away. You know, uh, no, no country can take that away from, from the people uh, that live here in, in this country. No, we, we are the only ones. Um, that can give those valleys away. And you know what's interesting? Like when I was a kid, the, the communist uh, teachers would, would tell us that, and I think it was Stalin, you know, who said it, but we were taught this, that the United States will fall from within. Um, and, you know, from, from my perspective, recent developments that we, were, we got pretty close. Um, and, and we certainly are not out of the woods yet in terms of, of our democracy being, being at risk. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, my, 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 my call to my brothers and sisters in the military is we need you. 
we need you alive, well, strong, and we and we need you to be our leaders and to lead um, the the people closest to you and uh, be there for your your cities and your counties and your states and your country. And, uh, you know, that's, we, as veterans, we all have, um, we have that pride and we have that honor and it's for our country, but it's also for our fellow soldiers, our, 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 our fellow veterans. And it's a connection that most, I don't want to, use an allness statement, but most civilians will never comprehend. It's the experience, you know, is the essence of true understanding. Most civilians cannot understand that bond. They can't understand uh, that connection that veterans have for one another and why they're so uh, passionate about their country and about people that they've served with that they've mm -hmm. had their backs and, and they've, you know, they protected and they've been protected by these, by these people. So yeah, that's, I'm, not, um, I'm not a veteran myself. I, I, I didn't serve. I did go to a year of military school. So I got enough of, of the values from that. Um, but I, but I, I agree with you, the sense the sense of, of bonding and teamwork. I work with a lot of veterans, you know, with PTSD and um, healing um, that kind of trauma Um and and have a great respect for the for the sacrifices that so many people have made to to maintain the freedom and to keep the rest of us safe. Um, and and you're right about that sense of of bonding and teamwork, um, and 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 the support structure that I think it's part of the reasons why so many vets have difficulty reintegrating back into society because those those qualities are not in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great place. Um, great place for us to take our first and only break. Um, and when we come back, I, I want to get in a little deeper into the book, into what you do, how you do it, and where are you going in the future? Uh, I know you're a servant. I know you're here to help people empower themselves. Uh, we're going to talk about power. And we're going to talk about awakening your soul when we come back from a short break. We are talking with Christian De La Herta, right? De La Huerta. De La Huerta. De La Huerta. And we will be right back after a short break. Stay with us, folks. Welcome our new sponsor, Scars and Stripes Coffee Company. They empower veterans to build their own business using their e-commerce platform, when you purchase from Scars and Stripes Coffee, you are buying from a veteran, and your purchase directly impacts the men and women who have served our country. Do more than say, thank you for your service. Order today and empower a veteran. Use vet code Brad Richard at scarsandstripescoffee.com. That's scarsandstripescoffee.com. We are back with uh, the second segment of episode 48, and we are talking with Christian. He is the author of Awakening the Soul of Power, and uh, just a lot of great stuff in the first segment. If you're joining us in the second segment, go back and listen to the first segment of the podcast, and uh, we, we're going to get into a little more specifics. If you could give the listeners just kind of a snapshot 
kind of, uh, you know, the uh, about the book on the back cover. You know, tell us a little bit about Awakening the Soul of Power. Yeah, the it's interesting that most of us have an ambivalent relationship to power. Like we want it, but we're afraid of it. And I think what, what we're afraid of is like, if we, re, if we really stepped into our power, uh, we fear that people would reject us or that we might end up alone, that we might feel different. Or um, we know we've been conditioned that, that, that power is a bad thing. Right. We've we've been told, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And what good hearted person wants to be corrupted? Um, we also, anytime you turn on the news, we witnessed at least one abuse of power. And so why good hearted person wants to be an abuser of power? So add to that mix the fact that we have been conditioned that the emotions are weakness. Um, when the emotions are not strength, they're not weakness, they're not good, they're not bad. The emotions are energy. Like what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy, now we know from quantum physics that it's true. Everything is energy. That means that the bodies, uh, our emotions, everything is energy. And so when you put all that into a mix, what happens is that we end up selling out on our power. We end up playing small. We end up saying yes when inside we feel no. And what they forgot to tell us about that quote about power corrupts is that Lord Agden, the one who said it, was speaking specifically about political power, not human power, interpersonal power. Um, and so, and, and the sad part about it, um, Brad, is that we end up giving our power away our inherent innate power that nobody can give to us. Nobody can take it away, right? It's inside each and every one of us. We are the only ones who can give it away. And the sad part is that we give it away for kind of lame reasons, we, for an illusion of security, for a false sense of acceptance, and for crumbs, for morsels of pseudo-love. And, and it's not an effective strategy. So the, the what I write about in this book is like, how do we step into personal power in a way that is congruent with who we are, that is a match for who we are, that, that doesn't require that we abuse it, that doesn't require that, that we put, push somebody down, step on them, um, put our knee to their neck, perhaps, in order for us to prop ourselves up and feel powerful. How do we do it in a different way? Wow. <laughs> when you speak of, you know, when you, you, you mentioned the soul and you mentioned the, you know, the power, power attached to one's soul okay is is that interpersonal that personal power I've, I've had people ask me what exactly you know is your definition of personal power you know hmm. and 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 so what i hear you saying is your personal power comes from your soul from your from your individual soul your individuality and and who you are as a person and so your power is only yours and it's, it's not shared by anyone else. It's it. very specific to you. That's it. And, okay. and, you know, part of the reason we, we get confused and we give away our, our power is we, because we think of power only the way that the world thinks of power, 
which, you know, we tend to associate power with externals, you know, people who have money, people who are famous, people who are high up in some kind of hierarchy, whether it's the corporate ladder or the military system or um, a religious institution. Uh, but the thing about all those kinds of power that because they're outside of us, they're fickle, they're here today, gone tomorrow. And, and that's one of the ways in which, you know, the pandemic has, has served us. Without denying the, the, the tragedy of it, if, if we pay attention at, at the opportunities for, for growth from it, that's one of the ones. I know many, many people who've lost their jobs um, and their identities had been so connected to that job that they had or that role that the, they played in a corporation. And so it was tough. It was challenging. But it, in, a, in the ultimate sense, it served them because they had to figure out who they were. Who am I really if I'm not my job? And what am I here for? So it's invaluable lessons if we're willing to take those lessons on, which, by the way, it's, it's nothing short of heroic as we keep weaving in this, this theme of heroism. Um, so, so, so that's external power. The other kind of power, the one that we all have access to that you're talking about is, is inside each one of us. I call it spiritual power. I call it soulful power. I call it whatever you want, like authentic power. It's, it's inside each one of us. And like I said earlier, nobody can take it away. Nobody can give it to us. Whereas worldly power, or I also call it egoic power because it's from the ego, um, it, it's, it always has an agenda. Like it's always trying to get something for itself. Um, whereas, and, and it's self-aggrandizing. So it's always blowing itself up to seem bigger than it is. Uh, whereas the soulful power, the spiritual power, it's about service. It's about making a difference. And I know that's also what drives you, that that is one of the themes of, of your podcast and your work is it's service uh, and making a difference in, in real human lives and helping people get their dreams. So I know you get this. It's, it's also humble. Right, so it doesn't need to prove anything to anybody, and 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 it's mighty, um, you know. So I think of, I think of a Gandhi, or a Gandalf, you know, from the Lord of the Rings in their simple monastic robes, their sandal feet. You would never know how much power they hold until it's needed, until it's called for, and then watch out. Like when we think about it, Gandhi brought the British Empire to its knees when it was at its highest point in terms of global reach and global influence without shooting a single gun or landing a single punch. Talk about power. That is available to each and every one of us and getting there. It's an epic journey. You brought up Lord of the Rings. It's like <laughs> um, that walk, uh, you know, or, or that journey to find that, uh, it seems very daunting, you know, to, to, a, to a lot of people. I tend to, I tend to help people get there quicker in, in that journey by reconnecting with their younger selves, with their, with their little me's, because as children, that light, that soul power that we have as children is so strong. Uh, it, it can be overwhelming to parents, right? But it's 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 uh, it's unlimited when we're uh, when, when we're when we're in the the mind of a child, and uh, going back and and kind of re-embracing or reconnecting with that part of us uh, 
and uh, and then taking that forward as an adult. I, I tell my folks that I work with that uh, your real power lies within your little self, with, within your within your little person. And as an adult, it's your responsibility to utilize that for positive motives and move both of you forward towards your hopes and dreams. Uh, that's all. That's all our little people want. You know, they want us to just do what we dreamed of doing in one way or another. And uh, so it kind of ties into what you're saying. And uh, that's just, that's kind of, you know, kind of my take on it. Besides the book, I know that you have done, you've done a lot of seminars. You've done a lot of, you know, um, speaking and, and, and teaching, you know, master classes and things. Um, what was the title of your Ted talk? Or if you had more than one, what was, if you can choose. Yeah, the, the TED Talk, it's called The Power of the Breath, which, which connects to PTSD and this conversation about the emotions and heroism. It connects to all of that. Um, you know, as I said earlier, my dad was a psychiatrist. My degree's in psychology. I, I come out of the psychotherapy tradition. Um, and 30 years ago, I, I experienced this this breathing practice is a breathing technique called breath work, which is kind of a generic umbrella term. Um, you breathe in a certain way for about an hour, an hour and a half. Um, and it just blew me away, uh, Brad. My first session uh, just blew me away. I knew that I had to do it again. I knew that I would never be the same. I knew I had to make it available to others. And I was on a track to get a PhD and I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD because it works so fast and heals so profoundly. I've yet to come across anything that is as effective in terms of healing past trauma. And I'm talking about heavy duty stuff. And I've, I've worked with people who, are, who have survived sexual abuse and dramatic different types of abuse and um, violent stuff. And it really clears it. And 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 here's the the reason that that it, that you know, like the science isn't there in terms of of how it works. You know, like it hasn't been studied as as extensively as uh, the meditation, for example. You know, the, that's there's been a lot of research on that and the many the many benefits of meditation. Um, breath work is it's not catching up yet, but it but it will um, because it really boggles the mind that just by breathing. Um, so many things can happen because it heals not only psychologically and emotionally, but it also heals mentally, spiritually, and even physically. And I can tell you story after story about how it does that. And I'll tell you, I know it sounds too good to be true. Um, even 30 years later to the more scientific, more skeptical part of me, part of my mind, that still sounds too good to be true. But you know what? I can't argue with results. It works. And it works with permanent results. Um, and so it connects back to the emotions in this way and, and to, hero, to heroism in this way. To, you know, one of, one of, another way in which COVID has served us is it's that it's expanded uh, the way that we think about what it means to live a heroic life. Like before the pandemic, like if you ask most of us, we'd, we'd think of either a superhero with a cape um, when, we, when they asked about what a hero is, or we would think of, you know, of a of a warrior, a military servant, a first responder, you know, people who actually place their lives at risk for the service of something else or a cause. 
because of COVID, now we also include in that definition of, of heroism or in that category of heroism, all our medical support people, our, our doctors, our nurses, our respiratory therapists. We even include delivery people and, and grocery store clerks who literally placed their lives at risk or their health, you know, took a chance on their health or paid a sacrifice in terms of the quality of their lives and their families and their relationships in order to keep us safe and fed and taken care of. Um, so, but what about the rest of us, right? So that's what this book talks about because we, I do believe, and I do know that we all have that hero within any, all of us do. And part of what that means to me is that willingness to go within and, and to look at ourselves and to ask the questions of why we do the things we do and why do we, why do we attract certain people, certain type of experiences? Why do we get stuck in these relationship patterns that sometimes feel like we're caught in the same boring movie, just with a different lead actor, but we've been here before. So to, to have that courage to go within and ask those, those hard questions of ourselves, to have the courage to face our inner demons is nothing short of heroic. And that applies to the emotions. You know, like I said earlier, we've been conditioned, especially men, um, you know, to, to, to make the emotions less than, to make them weakness. And we, we, you know, since we were kids, we were told little boys don't cry. The, the, the message is that only little girls cry and because they're the weaker sex. And which, you know, there's two faulty assumptions there. A, that the emotions are weakness. Um, and B, that, that the female, to be in a female body is, is it's, it's weakness. It's like, wait a minute, you want to talk about power? Let's talk about the power of creation, of the creation of life that lies inside of a female body. And, you know, I'm not going to do justice to the joke, but um, Betty White, when, when she was being asked, they were in a conversation about um, courage. And she goes, you know, I don't know who came up with this uh, association between having balls and courage. Uh, because you felt those little things and the and the guy bends over, collapses in pain. You want to talk <laughs> courage? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, I, I digress. To, to, to have the courage to feel the emotions. Um, and, and, you know, for me, that was a journey too. And, and I'll tell you, my dad was a psychiatrist and he was a good psychiatrist. I know because a lot of people have come up to me and told me that they used to work with him and speak very well of him. But in, in his own emotions, he was clueless, like totally clueless. So I grew up clueless. 30 years ago, if you would have told me what I was feeling, I couldn't have told you because I didn't know what I was feeling. So when I think about it from, from that perspective, is like to... to be willing to go within and to wrestle with our emotions and to master our emotions, right? Because we don't want to go around like a, like a two-year-old throwing a tantrum and dumping our, our emotions on each other. Uh, but to have the, the mastery level of knowing what we're feeling, being able to communicate it courageously, compassionately, and responsibly, meaning owning that they're our emotions and nobody can make us feel anything, uh, so to own, to own those emotions and communicate it gracefully, meaning in a way that the other person can hear it, because every time we use the word you and you did this or you'd never do that, forget it. End the conversation. So to, to, to learn all this is nothing short of mastery. So it's the opposite of weakness. And, and the thing about the emotions, Brad, is that we've, it's really important 
um, that we learn this and that we get this because knowing that the emotions are energy, we know from physics too, that energy cannot be destroyed. So what happens when we stuff our emotions, they don't go away. You know, we, we, they get stuck in the tissues of our bodies. And so after years and decades of, of stuffing our emotions, what happens is we, we walk around with layers and layers and layers of repressed emotional crap. And here we are trying to have a, a relationship in the present moment, and it's all getting filtered through that lifetime of unresolved and unhealed past trauma and suppressed emotions. How any relationships work just boggles my mind. Um, because we haven't been taught how to approach them, how to hold them, and we certainly haven't been taught how to clear ourselves of these of this cauldron of emotions, which have to come out. And so what happens is we suppress, we suppress, we suppress, and then the next unfortunate one comes and they say the wrong thing to us or, or, or they do something the wrong way, and boom, explosion, volcanic eruption, unfairly right like it was it was overreacting to that particular situation because we've been sitting on this cauldron of repressed emotions and that, that was it that was the, the the straw that broke the camel's back and then we cause harm to our relationships or that energy has to come out one way or another so we suppress it we suppress it we suppress it and what happens is it starts seeping out and it starts showing up in physical symptoms cancer heart attacks ulcers and and I think that's one of the reasons why there's a, a difference in longevity. One of the reasons that women outlive men by five years in the U.S., by seven years globally, I think it's because of that. Because we've gotten this twisted idea that to be a man, you have to like walk around like an un unfeeling, uncaring robot. It's like, wait a minute. That's not what makes us a, that's not what makes a man. Yeah, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's right on point there. Yeah. Uh, Men, uh, as far as women being, you know, more emotional and talking about their emotions and, and, and maybe crying and sharing what they're feeling, you know, men, it's like, oh, she's feeling again, you know, but uh, there's a lot to be said for the longevity and, and for the fact that uh, women do, in fact, live longer than us. Uh, so, you know which sex actually is 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 the stronger sex i guess is is the question us men have to answer well and the suicide question you know if we look at the suicide numbers in this country in the u.s men commit suicide four times as frequently as women 70 percent of the suicides in this country are committed by middle-aged white men which are ironically the ones that still hold the majority of the power in this world What's up with that? You know, so so this system of power over, of of this the relationship we have to life of of you gotta fuck it or you kill it, um, you know, which which is the way that so many of us are conditioned as men. It's it's not an effective strategy. It's not working for anybody. It certainly doesn't work for women, you know, who have been oppressed and and living in injustice, injustice and lack of equality for for thousands of years. But the thing is that we're discovering now that it doesn't work for men either. And so that we've got to figure this out. We've got to find a, a way that to, we can step into our power. That's different. That's power with, not power over. 
Um, because that's another assumption about power that there's a limited amount of it so that you're having power takes away from mine. It's like, wait a minute, if I'm in my power, if I'm in my authentic power, it's like, I know who I am. I can take, I can handle whatever you do. I mean, I may not like it, but I can handle it. I'll, I'll have the clarity and, and the courage to, to show up in whatever way I choose, right? So, so, but when I come in from that perspective, it's, I can celebrate you being in your power. Like you're having power does not have to take away from mine. It's a faulty assumption. And we've got to learn about how to handle these emotions and how to clear them so they don't get stuck in us. And, and that is the first step towards inner heroism yes bingo bingo <laughs> um true heroes can master the things that you that you spoke of and to manage self-parent self-control understand embrace their feelings cry get it out understand why you did it why you experienced the tears and learn from it and move on with it you yeah. know and, and be in control um be in control of them uh, and, and basically understanding what's inside is, is, is far more heroic than, you know, covering them up, burying them, repressing them, and then, uh, you know, lashing out at the next, uh, uh, the poor, the next poor soul that, that, <laughs> that confronts you or comes in, comes in front of you or crosses your path. So uh, yeah, good stuff, really good stuff. There's so much that we could talk about. Um, we're we're winding down. We got like two, three minutes left of, of this segment. I know there's a lot more we could talk about. I want to let the listeners know that I'm going to have multiple links in the show notes so you can connect with Christian. You can find out all of the things he's doing. You can find out more about his breath work. And there's many, many resources and a lot of uh, terrific stuff there at your website. And uh, I just encourage the listeners to check out the links and connect with Christian. He has so much to offer. He is a servant. He loves you. He doesn't have to know you, <laughs> but, he, but he loves you and he cares about you and, and, and he's here to help. That's why he is on the podcast. It's, he is here to help. And he does have a special place in his heart for the men and women of the armed forces and veterans. Um, you have his respect and he is here for you. So uh, definitely check out the show notes. The blog will also have the clickable links in the show notes on the blog. So, uh, you know, you're not going to miss anything. Just go to the show notes and everything will be there for you. And I would encourage you to connect with him on social media and uh, and reach out to him because uh, there's so much more we could talk about, Christian. I, I know there is. And, you know, all the things that you said resonate with me. Uh, they resonate with me. I'm a, uh, I'm a poor servant, um, but there's nothing else in the entire world that, that I want to do than, than, what I, than what I do. Going with what you said just a, a minute ago, I have a hero aspect to my personality and that's how I see myself. And it's not for the world to see me that way. It's the most important thing is that I see myself that way and, exactly. and having that servant mindset. And uh, you know, I, I cry and I feel, and you know, I, uh, 
I, I was going to say I can go both ways, but it didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I do. I do feel, I, I, I do feel and I allow my feelings to be felt. And I lived 50 years of my life being very codependent on everyone in my world. And I was controlled by men and women and other people. And I was more uh, emotional and more vulnerable. And I've been on both sides of the fence is my point. I've, I've done it both ways. And, and the hero perspective or the servant perspective is far better. I can assure you that it's a, it's a, it's a much better way to go. <laughs> so. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for, for your willingness and your courage to do that and to, and to speak that, um, you know, it, I don't use the word heroic lightly. It really is heroic to, to be willing to, to, to face ourselves and, and to face our own inner demons and, and to be willing to to feel stuff that in some cases we have spent years or a lifetime running away from and trying not to feel. It's really nothing short of, of heroism. And so thank you for, for you doing that personally and for embodying that. Uh, it is heroic. And thank you for the work that you're doing here on the podcast and uh, with your, your programs, because I know that you're making a difference in a lot of lives. And it is the, the, the servant leader um, archetype that I think we're being called to, to embody these days. Not the you know, power over leader from, from before, uh, but it's more the, the leadership style that we serve as, as that, we, that it's the servant leader. Like we lead by example, that we lead by serving and making a difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is a great place for us to wrap up this episode. Um, Christian De La Huerta. Perfect. You nailed it. I I nailed it at the end, right? Uh, (laughs) Christian, I want to thank you for being on the Men on a Mission podcast. Uh, Excellent content, great information. And I, I know the listeners will be excited to connect with you. I encourage them, reach out to Christian check out the links in the show notes and, and connect with this man. He has so much to give. He's on our side and, and he wants, uh, he, he just wants stronger people that, uh, that feel and experience and, uh, and that can be, be strong leaders. Cause he, he, he understands like I do, we really need strong leaders, but servant leaders that are willing, you know, to give, to give to someone else, not just take, uh, take that power away. So, any last words? We've got about 30 seconds. Anything else you want to say? No, I just want to say thank you again. Thanks for, for doing the work that you do. And thanks for, uh, for everybody who's listening and for the courage to, to stick it out this far in this conversation. And, you know, take what works. You don't have to believe everything that I say. Just take what resonates for you and what works for you. And, and I know it works. Uh, thanks again, Brad, for having me on the show. You're very welcome. Uh, Thank you, Christian. And uh, until next time, I'll end like I always do. Love yourself, love your little me, and take care of you first so that you can help the ones you love around you. Until next time, bye for now. First 